Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. Blog Talk Radio. seasons past, when 22 men graced the rugged fields of yesterday, fighting for one more first down, one more yard gain, one final score which would bring victory up to 60 minutes of battle on the gridiron. Tonight, we'll explore the world of gridiron greats. Welcome to Gridiron Greats Football Historic Memorabilia on the Gridiron Greats Publishing and Broadcasting Network in conjunction with Swick Enterprises. We're live from the Wallingford, Connecticut home of Gridiron Greats Magazine, and I'm Bob Swick, publisher and editor of Gridiron Greats Magazine, and I'll be your host for the show. Gridiron Greats is the only publication in America which focuses upon the history and memorabilia of the North American football game since its inception in 1869. We cover 150-plus years of football history and memorabilia. You can find us on the web at gridirongreatsmagazine.com. And it's at this time I'd like to introduce my guest, co-host. He's a senior contributing writer to Gridiron Greats Magazine, a football memorabilia historian specializing in the early artifacts of the game. He also has what I believe is one of the most incredible runs of football cards set from the 1894 Mayos right through the 1980s. And he hails from Virginia. I'd like to welcome a good friend of Gridiron Greats, Mr. Jeff Payne. Jeff, welcome to the show this evening. Hey, Bob. How you doing? Happy to be here. Thank you for uh, filling in. Joe had some unexpected business, and uh, I'm going to lead off with one of the bigger stories of the day, one of the few stories that is active right now in sports, and a fellow you know quite well from a team that you are a big fan of, Mr. Tom Brady. Going on with Mr. Brady. (laughs) Mr. Brady, wow. Yeah, so as you mentioned, I'm almost a lifelong Patriots fan. I guess that's my only excuse, right? It's been almost 45 years I've been rooting for this crazy team. I really didn't think this day would ever come, Bob. I really, really thought in the end, that Brady was going to be one of the few goats 
that would play his entire career with one team. And I thought Kraft and Belichick and Brady, they would just get together and they would figure out how, you know, how to make it work. But, um, but they didn't. So I guess uh, now he's a buck. Right. I, I personally was shocked when I heard the news, and I and I tried talking to a few of my contacts in the Tampa area about it, and I think it's a two-folded, um, for lack of a better term, a two-folded move that I think will obviously will benefit Brady and obviously will benefit the Tampa Bay Bucks to a large degree, and Brady is in relatively good shape for his age. Mm-hmm. But I'm not overly, I don't know, is he going to have the targets he needs to be Tom Brady, the real Tom Brady, when he's on the Bucks? That's going to be the big question. That will be the big question. Different system, obviously. Uh, great receivers down there. I know their line is suspect and their defense net has never been good. I know they're trying to shore it up. But, um you know, if Jameis Winston can throw for 5,000 yards, Tom Brady can throw for 5,000 yards in Tampa Bay. Right. <laughs> so, you know, right. he's going to put up right. some numbers. There's no doubt about that. From a football card collecting perspective, it's going to be really bizarre to see him, you know, a football card in a Bucks uniform for Tom Brady. I'm guessing there's some already out, you know, with how fast they move yeah. on some of those things. But, um you know, I was thinking about the other great players, you know, I know, you know, you know, like, uh, it's just so shocking to see the cards with like Montana as a chief or, you know, Jerry Rice as, you know, either a Raider or a Seahawk, you know, Unitas as a Charger, Namath as a Ram. You know, who can forget OJ too, Simpson in an orange jumpsuit. That's the best one, right? Um, yep. 49 uniform, of course. <laughs> And a 49er well, you know, uniform. Um, but that's just, I just can't wrap my head around it. The first time I see one of those cards of Tom Brady, it's just going to really, really kind of hurt a little bit, you know? I, You know, talking about classic players from, from years gone by, why? what happened to Unitas with the Colts? Well, you know, they they ungraciously basically told him to get out of there. And Johnny U really thought he could still play, even though it was, he was mm-hmm. really – running out of gas at the end of his career, the only team that offered him a, a, a position were the Chargers. And at that time, you know, with the drug culture and everything like that, you know, here's a clean-cut, crew-cut guy coming to a, a team that's basically uh, sandals and the beach type of thing. And it, it was a rough a rough move for him. And I, I know he was very unhappy and he didn't do well. And that was it, one and done type of thing. Yeah, Namath to the Rams to me was a little more interesting because Namath had the the movie TV influence of California, so that right. seemed a little more logical, you know, to go out there. Not that he had any, you know, any success out there because you know he really didn't have much success the second half of his career, uh, being injured right. all the time. But uh, you know, it's 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 tough to it's tough to watch. But then again, I look at a Montana going from the 49ers to the Chiefs. And conversely, I also, you know, you look at Emmett Smith when he ended up wearing Arizona mm-hmm. for that year. You know, it's, it's you know, it's, 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 it's sad. And I also understand, you know, you're not going to, you know, I give the game up. That's what it all comes down to. It really is. Yep. 
In Brady, Brady's case, though, I am kind of shocked because he's always going to be a Patriot in my eyes. You know, now unless he somehow wins the Super Bowl with the Bucks and he proves uh, everybody wrong, type of thing. No, I would, I would agree. I just can't, just can't fathom. And I know he's, I guess in 2021, the Bucks are coming to, to Foxborough to play. That's going to be a major show <laughs> when he comes back. Yeah, he's going to get a great reception, you know. Yeah, he'll get a great reception, but, you know, it's going to be a show. Yeah, it's going to be very, very interesting to say the least. All right, so we'll be following that story throughout the year, I'm sure. We'll be talking about it on the show and and every place else. It'll it'll be very interesting to see what really ends up happening one way or the other. The second topic we're going to talk about, which is a topic I, I really, I'm sure everybody's tired of hearing about, but um, obviously we're in a very serious health care crisis with the mm-hmm. COVID-19 coronavirus in our country. Um, a lot of people's lives have changed dramatically over the past few weeks. Our friend and uh, friends in Italy are really taking a bad hit over there with many, many people dying as compared to the United States. But we still need to talk about, and for our listeners and several people have asked me, what's going on with shows today and, what, and, what, and how is it impacting the auction market at the same time from the COVID-19 virus? What are, what are your thoughts on that, Jeff? Well, shows are being decimated, obviously, at this point. I know there were some small shows that happened in February and early March, but all the big dogs were coming up, right, like Chantilly and you know, Chicago and <clears throat> Strong, Strongville and, and a, a lot of other ones that, you know, were, were they were trying to run them. They were, try, they were keeping, you know, hope alive. But then when everybody started to – you know, social distance and, uh, you know, all these um, decrees came out about the number of people that, um, you know, should be congregating yeah. in the same place. It was pretty clear they were going to get whacked. So, you know, I mean, they're decimated <clears throat> and it's not going to come back until, you know, until people start gathering again, really, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, the the yeah. auctions, you know, at first blush, you might say, well, you know, they're virtual, so people are at home and, you know, people should still be bidding on stuff. But I think, as you know, because of the side effect of all this, the economic impact that we're seeing, which is pretty, pretty dramatic, um, I think people are pulling back. People are not spending money. I think that's going to continue until this whole thing gets, you know, gets cleared out and could go a lot longer if the ex- if the economy doesn't rebound. Right, right. I, I think there's two major factors going on in the marketplace. Obviously, the gathering now here in Connecticut, and I don't know, I know some of, basically the tri-state area is trying to shut down. Uh, obviously, New York City because of the amount of people there and the, and the very, very, you know, close living spaces, there's going to be more issues with the virus spreading much more quickly. So I believe the tri-state area is going to be definitely impacted. I live in Connecticut. Fortunately, I live in a very rural town. You know, I've got plenty of space between my neighbors, yada, yada, yada. But, you know, somebody who lives in a, um, you know, 
person apartment building. It, it's that it's a little too close for comfort type of thing. Yeah. So getting back to the the concept of a show, well, it's not really going to be you know comfortable setting up mm-hmm. next to somebody and and to have you know five people at your table all elbow to elbow going through you know picking through cards and whatever. I know the shows here in Connecticut are are basically canceled until further notice. And uh, we've had, you know, we have more uh, coin shows than we actually do card shows. But in any event, everything is everything is shut down. My big question, and I had uh, a, a good friend of mine ask me, well, what, what do you really think is going to happen with the national? Well, I know mm-hmm. they're going to do whatever ever they humanly can to make sure that show goes up goes on because they have you know a lot invested in it. But I'm saying to myself. You know, even in July, it could be too soon to have big gatherings like that as far as an inside venue as compared to, like, you know, baseball games occurring, so on and so forth. I mean, I could be completely off with my my thoughts on it. But at the same time, too, I got a strong feeling some dealers and some people who normally go to the show are going to say, hey, I'm passing. I'll, I'll see you in 2021 type of thing. So I could see that happening at the same time also. And, uh, you know, that's going to impact that show. And, again, it's in Atlantic City, and that's a very, you know, tight-quartered area there, you know, no matter where you stay. You know, you're basically one on top of one another. So uh, it should be interesting to see what happens. I, I offer no uh, thoughts one way or the other whether the show will be on or not because I have a feeling it's going to take a little while for everything to to really get back to normal, you know, I'm 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 saying to myself, hopefully everything will be open by the middle of April, and then you know, hopefully things will get back to normal at the beginning of May or so, and we should be all right then in mm-hmm. July. You know what I mean? But I, anything you could be, I could be completely wrong. Who knows? You know, so uh, that's yeah. really impact the market. It is. I'm getting less and less optimistic about the national. Unfortunately, I've been watching it really carefully. Because part of my business, we have some events that we run, some pretty sizable events, you know, software-related, you know, um, mm-hmm. shows mm-hmm. And, and exhibits. And, and you know, obviously this spring is a disaster <laughs> for, in that regard. Yeah. But, you know, but I'm kind of watching just because we have shows in the fall and, you know, hopeful, obviously, that this is, is not still a problem in the fall. Um but we don't know, right? Yeah. As this drags out, and as you look at kind of the continuing escalation of infections, you just kind of start to wonder, well, where is it going to peak and come back down, and how how far out is that? You know, yeah. we don't know. Yeah. That's the reality. We don't know, and so yeah. it's really hard to predict. But the 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 longer that every day they go up. <laughs> the closer and closer we get to scenarios where, you know, you could see the national just not happening. The other thing that right. factor into this, you know, which is what we were factoring into to our show decision was, you know, what the relationship is with the um, the host, the host facility, right? And what your right. – you know, financial commitment is because you, you know, you don't just show up there one day and, you know, just all agree you're going to like split money. I mean, you, you know, they've committed to Atlantic City and that 
facility years in advance, and I guarantee you they have very steep penalties for pulling out. And that well, really puts th- them in a tough spot, you know? Well, I think given the circumstances of the crisis, I, I, I truly believe, at least I hopefully believe, that many of these businesses and many of these venues are saying to themselves, listen, we, we have a national crisis. We're going to waive, you know, you know, everything but a, you know, X amount of dollar fee for our paperwork on it or whatever, and that's it. You know what I mean? I can't really see, and although, you know, people agree and they disagree with what I'm saying, that I can't really see uh, the finances playing a role in it if, you know, we're at a, at a point where government says, okay, you can't meet, so there's nothing you can do about mm-hmm. it. You know what I mean? And hopefully everybody's yep. smart enough to have enough, have enough insurance on their, on their you know, events and festivals and whatever else they're doing mm-hmm. so that, you know, you have some recourse in it. And I, I really believe that's going to play a role in what's going on uh, with regards to the uh, whether or not it'll, it'll – It'll happen or not. Two things got to happen with the virus, and I hate talking about non-football stuff, but I got to throw this out. I really mm-hmm. believe once it peaks and it starts to go down, there'll be a lot more optimism in our society. And with mm-hmm. so many different companies working on a possible vaccine, if something comes out, and even if it gives a fifty or sixty percent chance of uh, you know curing it or survival, whatever it may be there'll be a lot more optimism, too, at the same time. I think we're fortunate in our country, obviously, because we have a very good health care system. And I'm confident, you know, being the optimist I am, I'm confident that, you know, it, it'll come to a resolution pretty quickly, you know, hopefully by the middle of April, one way or the other. So, uh, yeah. and again, no, there's uh... still, still a lot of online auctions. There's still eBay. There's still a lot of different small, mm-hmm. smaller sites selling stuff. However, I, I just don't see a lot of enthusiasm, and I do agree with you 100%. You know, the, the individual's finances have been impacted in the hobby, and a lot of people are going to say, hey, i got to make a decision, and I'm not, I'm not going to spend $1,000 on this piece of memorabilia or whatever. i got to worry about, you know, the mortgage, bills, whatever the case may be. So um could yeah, be some no massive doubt. buying opportunities in, in the market upcoming. Very, very quickly. And, uh, I think there could be. It's, I think there could be because it, this is such a surprise, right? It came out of nowhere that, you know, I think it did surprise a lot of people. Um, you know, the economy was so strong. And then overnight almost it just stopped. And right. I think you're right. It's it's going to throw some people for a loop. And, you know, there's going to be people that panic and, and sell stuff, just like we saw really at the and and the financial crisis was not as dramatic in terms of a day, right. right? But even then, was you know a lot of people scrambling to you know sell memorabilia and collectibles that they felt they just needed the money, you know, instead. Right. I agree. We'll right. see some of that in the coming months. Yeah, I have a very strong feeling that that's that's going to be a very very uh, prevalent part of the hobby unfortunately, in the, in, the, in the near future. All right, let's get off this gloom and doom, and let's talk about some fun stuff. Yeah, really. And, uh, <laughs> I, I, I know, I know uh, you've picked up an enormous amount of stuff since the last time we talked on the air, and I'm going to hand off to you, 
And uh, let's start talking about a few things. The first thing, though, I like to uh, talk about, I'll skip around a little here, are some uh, trade cards that you picked up from the late uh, 18 or the, the early 1890s. Can you uh, yes. talk a bit about that? Yeah. So, um, you know, <clears throat> you know Al Olson, obviously. He um, he wrote a great article for Gridiron Greats magazine on some, you know, 1890 trade cards he picked up that were, um, you know, that depicted the game between Yale and Princeton that year. Um, right. An iconic game in 1890, and you know, for those that don't know, trade cards are, you know, they were kind of like business cards in the late 1800s, early 1900s. You know, um, printers would print them. They would have usually very colorful graphics on them. Sometimes caricatures, um, paint, almost you know, art, little, little artwork cards. But then they would sell them to businesses that would put or have them put advertisements on them on the front, on the back, mm-hmm. their address and stuff about their product. And these companies would give these out almost like business cards to their patrons and to their prospects and partners and things like that. And it was a, it was a really popular thing in that era. And, you know, fortunately there's some fantastic football trade cards. Uh, we could spend a whole episode talking about trade cards from that era but these these um, trade cards that um, that Al discovered were, you know, caricatures of players, so kind of cartoonish figures. But underneath it was some text that had been added by the by the um, printer, you know, obviously for an organization that had had wanted these for their um, for their business and or their their maybe college. There's some speculation that was done by Yale or Princeton or both. Um, and they depicted this game. <clears throat> well, a couple of weeks, I, I always thought they were fantastic. I, when I saw them in his article, I just couldn't believe. I'd never seen them before, other than there was um, a mention of them and a couple that um, was in a blog called Football of Your, which I know you know. Yep. So Larry, yep. Um, <clears throat> they had a few of them, and they had written up a blog on it, I'd say six or seven years ago now. And I had seen that and just, just thought these things were fantastic. But I'd never mm-hmm. seen one come up at auction, you know, three, four weeks ago on eBay. I'm just doing my usual daily search, right, you know, drinking my coffee early morning, doing a little searching. And <laughs> I just, you know, you, you know, right, You, when you've looked at yep. stuff long enough and you see something, you just know what it is. And I just did a double take because there was one of these cards. And I was like, holy cow, there's one of these on eBay. The interesting thing about it, though, was the text on it was different. It was not the same text on right. uh, Al's cards and the football of your cards. It was actually a reference to Harvard instead of Yale or Princeton. I was like, well, that's interesting. So maybe somebody did this for one of the other games that, you know, that, um, that season. And so, you know, I, I sniped it as I like to do and, and won it. I was really excited and waiting for it to show up. And, and right after it closed, the same seller posted four or three more uh, different images with different text, all associated with Harvard or Yale, as far as I could tell. So now it was starting to look like, oh, well, this is the Harvard-Yale game that was played. It was actually played right before the um, Yale-Princeton game. 
And in, mm-hmm. in a pretty big upset, you know, Harvard won that game and ended up, you know, winning the national championship. They finished undefeated. And so I was like, well, I got to get these two. And so I, you know, sniped <laughs> those and was fortunate enough to win those as well. And, and uh, ended up with all four of them, which is really cool. I need to do a lot more research. Some of them are cryptic. You know, one of them, I think I, well, one of them's pretty clear. Uh, you know, it's Bob McClung, who was one of the, you know, the captain and star of the Yale team that year. And, and one of Al's mm-hmm. cards references uh, McClung as well. This is a di- different image um, than the one Al has. Um, that yeah. mentions McClung on it. He was the U.S. You know, Secretary of Treasury, ultimately, uh, later in life. Um, but the other ones are a little cryptic, kind of like Al's were. And I need to, I've been digging into it, just reading old newspapers and articles to see what happened in that game to see if I can piece together you know, what players or play is being referenced on these referencing something, just like Owls were. Um, so sure, I'm, I'm still sure. working on that. When I get through it, I'll, I'll write you a good article for Gridiron Greats and, and share it with everybody. Well, my, it's, uh, my theory, it's, it's really cool. My, my theory now, after you found those, and I always kept it in, in the back of my mind, and I, and I kind of mentioned it to Al, too. I'm wondering if they if they did for every game that season for Yale, they did, a, you know, maybe three or four promotional postcards for the businesses in that area or whatever. I, I really don't know. I mean, that's one, one theory I throw out if it's possible type of thing. And, and because they, you know, I, I basically two, the, you know, there's basically been three finds of it, football of your, and then uh, Al's and now yours. Uh, and that's mm-hmm. kind of amazing after how many, you know, 130 years now we're actually seeing a few that came to the market. It's just yeah. truly amazing to me, truly amazing. And, uh, and again, anybody who, who reads Gridiron Greats on a regular basis, I, I did get a lot of comments on Al's, um, on Al's article because, um, you know, that nobody really ever saw anything like that. And, to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm not, I'm not overly big in baseball, there were several baseball types of those cards that were issued over the years with the players in different positions or whatever. Not so much for college, but for the, the beginning, either, either the minor league, minor league teams or the, uh, a handful of the major league teams. I don't know how true that is either. You know what I mean? So uh, it could, you know, since those were the two basic sports at the time, uh, baseball being more prevalent. I'm sure there's a lot of those types of trade cards around. Football, you know, few and far between, rare rare beyond rare as far as cards were concerned. You know what I mean? So I'll be interested yeah. to see what, what kind of research you come up with it because it's, it's an amazing story to see these actual uh, pieces actually come to the market. I mean, it's, it's truly fascinating to me. Yeah, no, me too. And I'm so excited. They're so beautiful too. I mean, their color, you know, in that era, that's a, a big thing. And they're lithographic, so they're just just little little works of art. And uh, I did look at um, someone in, that we know mentioned that perhaps um, printer was Tobin that apparently did quite a bit of kind of cartoonish caricature types of sports images on trade cards back mm-hmm. in that era. I did look into mm-hmm. that a little bit, you know, and, and found some references to um, that 
company's work and his work. He was an artist who owned this printing shop. Um, it could be his, but it's not clear. The baseball ones, you can, they're pretty prevalent. If you go out to eBay, I went out to eBay and I did like, you know, I typed like, you know, trade card Tobin and up popped, you know, a bunch of them. Almost every one though, he signed in the in the bottom, kind of like an artist would write in, in his artwork. That's not on yeah, these, yeah. these football ones. So um, if they they may not be, you know, from from his printing shop. Um, we don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's you know, and I I agree with you. I actually think that he or well, someone created a you know a, a cartoon um, small set of of trade cards for football. And then, you know, marketed them to, um, you know, advertisers and the schools and, you know, or the colleges in the area um, and and tried to get them to buy, you know, buy them and put advertisements on them. Um, Right. Right. I think think if another, if another game comes up, but of course, as you know, I mean, Yale, Harvard, Princeton, right. I mean, they were the three big dogs. So, um, and I don't think Princeton. I think I looked it up. And Harvard played in 1890. So you know, if you're thinking the Big Three, you know the YHPs back then, you know there's there's a case to be made. Maybe it was only these two games because they were the big games, right? right back then, right. But again, you know, and, and to to follow logically, the Mayo's were what Yale, Princeton, Harvard. So mm-hmm. that's pretty interesting mm-hmm. there too. So now you have now you have almost a, a segue into the Mayo's a few years later yep. from these types of trade cards. So it's kind of kind of fascinating to 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 see the connection there of what's going on uh, with yeah. with those trade cards and how you know what possibly could be uh, an addendum to or I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, a beginning to uh, real cards with the Mayo's. So. Very interesting yep. to me. Great, great find. You, you also were working on, and um, I couldn't believe when I started hearing all the stories about some uh, Paxville Maroon stuff uh, that you knocked off there. Tell, tell us about that. Yeah, so you and Joe talked about the Hunt Super Bowl auction that was happening, you know, at Super Bowl weekend. And one yep. of the pieces you all talked about was this um, – you know, framed uh, piece that had all a complete set of the 1926 Pottsville Maroons postcards on it, all mounted and all autographed. And um, I've been working on that set for a long time. And, you know, and and it was really, you know, there's certain sets in the hobby that you just figure you'll never finish because Mm -hmm. the population of the cards is just so small that your likelihood of finding them all is just minuscule unless you get really lucky. And I've, I've gotten really lucky with some of the, the Pottsville Maroons. I missed out on a lot that came up in Leland's in 2012, a set of okay. them, or a lot of them came up, 15 of the 18 came up in Leland's. I didn't even really know exactly what they were. I was just getting into pre-war at that point. I saw them. They were interesting. I did bid on them, but I got blown out of the water. Um, <clears throat> but quickly figured out what they were, and I was like, gosh dang it, I should have tried harder to get them. So I've been <laughs> looking for them ever since. 
and and fortunately have run into a few collectors who um who have who have also been looking for these and and have you know dealt with them through the years or even through the decades and were willing to part with some and I was able to get to the point where I had fifteen of the eighteen that were out there. The three big ones are the three hardest ones to get in the set are the the Charlie Berry, uh, the Tony Latone, and and Barney Wentz. They were they were all all pros in that time frame for the Maroons, and they're you know all star players in their own right. <clears throat> and they're hard to find. The the lot that came up in Leland's, you know, twelve eight years ago did not have those three cards in it. Um, you know, another lot that sold privately, and I was able to you know, nudge um, some some of those cards out of the person that bought those did not have those cards in the lot as well. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, it was it was really getting to the point where you started to wonder, well, do these where are these cards? Do they exist or whatnot? Now, I'd heard, I'd heard, well, the Tony Latone had come up in the Leland slot. And there was a Latone card. Um, the people who sold one of the lots uh, that I was able to get some cards from had the Wentz. They kept the Wentz. No one had seen the Charlie Berry um, yet at auction, as far as I could tell. Uh, and there were even people, you know, a decade ago who I heard were, were questioning whether that card even existed. But then, um, you know, someone stepped forward and said, no, I've, I've seen that card. It does exist. So long story short, myself and two collectors, went together and purchased the the Hunt Super Bowl auction, you know, maroon set and and I just kept the three that I needed and um you know the other guys split their split the rest. So I was able to finish mm-hmm. the set. Which I'm pretty excited now, for about. People, for people who don't know that's like um how many cards are in it again and and uh just a little little more background on it. You know the Maroons are known for their you know, their their stolen championship, as they call it, in 1925, the year before. A lot of these players right. were on that team. Barry and Latone and Wentz were on that team, as well as a lot of other players in this set. Um, the next year, they had a team that many would argue was even better. Uh, they still hold, although, you know, the NFL doesn't all, you know, they, they never they never give credit to the people, you know, teams back then, they still hold the record for the most shutouts in the season in NFL history. And it will never be broken. Mm-hmm. I think it's 11 or something like that. I mean, this team was <laughs> dominant. They just had a couple of mishaps and they lost a couple of games and they ended up not winning the championship in, in, two, in 26. But this set, it's 18 players that were on the team. And they're all professionals. It is widely considered, it's certainly the first all-NFL set that was produced, right, ever in history. Some would argue it's the first set of all professional players that was produced. Now, there's a couple of town, kind of town team, you know, pro teams in the teens that created sets. You could argue is that were they really professionals, fully professionals? Were they semi pros? Whatever, right? Certainly, in in once the NFL started, this is the first set uh, of all NFL players uh, that was ever produced. But but the question really is, when were they produced, and 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 why are there so few of them? 
right? Initially, my thought process was that these were probably cards that the team created, and they gave sets to all the players, and you know, and, and then others in the community. But the the population is so low. I mean, I know of no card with a population over four. Um, it's total population over four. Where where well, so- where were these? distributed where were they produced what happened to them if they were and why does every um, lot that come up why is it either a, a almost complete set or a complete set right it's kind of like packers walker cleaners right you don't see singles uh, ever you only see sets and so it makes you wonder how these were distributed and why more of them haven't trickled out right i'm wondering if if, if they were handed out as a um as a gift, like to an awards dinner of some sort in town, you know, maybe sponsored by the local VFW or something like that. Mm-hmm. And they were given, like you're saying, to the players and or they were mm-hmm. just given, you know, they were they, they just maybe printed up 50 of each and guys took their own their own cards or whatever. I, I really don't know. It's a, it's a fascinating uh, subject to, to research and to look at. I know and I know you're, you're basically the expert on it as far as I'm concerned. In, in your research in it, so uh, I still I still really wonder, like you you know like you're saying, why why are certain cards never found? Why are other cards you know in theory more common, even though there's only four of them? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's, My a, it's an amazing. Is, it is an amazing story. My bet is number one is. First of all, I thought maybe they were given out at a banquet, too, or maybe like right after the season. Interesting thing about the 26th season is if you recall at the end of that year, uh, the team didn't have enough money to pay its players. In fact, they almost didn't finish the season. You know, if you read the newspaper articles, when they got to, I'm going to say around mid-November or so, or maybe a little later than that, uh, they weren't being paid any longer. And they actually had a team meeting and had to decide, are we going to finish the season out knowing that we may not get paid, right? Or are we just going to, you know, give it up? Well, they were in competition for the, for the championship. They decided that they would play, play and the, the town rallied to try to close the gap. It's unclear. There's, con, you know, there's kind of um, conflicting newspaper articles about whether they did or did not ultimately get all their money but because of that i think one thing that was interesting was they played a game on saturday and sunday everybody left town like they were all on trains going home wherever home was there was no banquet Mm -hmm. at the end of that year there was nothing like i expected because i was looking for that exact event hoping that they would mention that they gave out these cards you know as part of a thank you to the players or something there's nothing. They did not do that in 26. Players weren't happy. <laughs> the team wasn't happy. They just dispersed immediately, according to the newspaper. Um, and yep. I did a search looking for these cards, you know, in the Pottsville newspapers all the way up through, um, I think it was 1949, which if you look at the, you know, the stamp on the back, the, the stamp box on the back of the postcards, it tells you, you know, what years the the, the cards had to have been produced because certain stamp boxes were only valid and, and legitimate in certain years. And 49 was the last year that the stamp boxes used on these cards, um, you know, was, 
you know, was allowed to be used for, for uh, on a postcard. And the first year was 24. So it had to have been somewhere between 24 and 49. Obviously, it wasn't before 26. Um, <clears throat> there's also speculation that maybe they were printed over time, uh, but we just don't know how, right? Because one of the cards, you know, one of the collectors has uh, one of the cards that doesn't have a print spot on it or the other two examples do and just doing home research mm-hmm. and talking to collectors um, those kind of things often happen when you do a first print and then a negative sits and then it degrades because it wasn't properly clean when it was emulsified and that leaves a print spot when you print later right but nobody knows how how what what later means right was this like you know a month later was this a year later was it a decade later you know nobody knows yeah exa- exactly mystery, i mean you know it's a mystery yeah, yeah. i think i just think that set of, it's just so interesting because it has so many different unknown variables to it and and to basically have the complete set is just truly it's a, it's an amazing set to, to own uh, f- phenomenal, just phenomenal, and you're, you got got to be congratulated on that because that that was that's an amazing amazing pickup to say the least. What else? Is, what else? If anything else, do you have? Uh, that you, I know you picked up a few other things also. Yeah, no, I I've picked up um, you know I, I, I'm a busy little hobbyist like you, <laughs> you know, always looking <laughs> for things I'm missing or. Up, upgrades. You mentioned my run of, of cards. One of the things that I've been working on is I went back through, you know, all of the cards in the run from 1888 to 1989 and, and just <clears throat> tried to look for cards that, you know, kind of like to upgrade. And I came up with, a, yep. of course, a huge list. And so this is kind of my side project is when I'm bored at a card show or, you know, can't really, you know, I look around, I don't really find anything that I'm I'm not interested in. I'll switch gears and start digging through boxes or binders, or I love doing that stuff, right? I mean, it's so much fun to mm-hmm. do that at card shows. Just looking for upgrades uh, for my list. I keep my list with me, and you know, I'm, I'm looking for upgrades just to try to get every set to where I want it to get to. Right? They're all raw for the most part, except for the pre-war stuff, which you can't really get raw. Um, Mm-hmm. But um, and they're not high grade. I'm not trying to do high high grade. I just want good, you know, nice, clean looking, respectable kind of cards. And and I do have a lot that aren't. So you know, that's that's something I've been definitely working <laughs> on um, uh, over time. You know, this this while well, I was until all the shows shows closed down. Yeah, well, those were um, I, I, <clears throat> those were those were biggies for me. So, you know, when you talk about upgrades, I always think back to my 48 and 49 leaf sets, which are, uh, I have mm-hmm. some incredibly horrific cards in the set. Me too. And I have some, I have some relatively nice cards, roughly X grade. I really don't have anything near mint in any 48 and 49 set. I have cards that have creases. I have cards that have writing on them. I have cards that are, you know, what are the traditional, traditionally were called beaters, meaning mm-hmm. that they've they've seen seen better days. And I always said to myself, and again, with all the conflict of of trimming in forty eight and forty nine leaves, I just said yeah. the way they are, the way they are, and that's where they're going to stay. 
And, uh, yeah, sure, I would yeah. like to have nicer cards in there, but, you know what, I, I in no way, shape, or form going to spend any money trying to find stuff and then find out later on the cards have been altered, trimmed, or whatever the case may be. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm in the same you, boat on your that. Collection, your collection with the uh, with the cards you got there, I mean, uh, there's some – the conditions are just incredible. I, I just thoroughly enjoyed looking at them the, the time I got to – Got to see them. They were great. All right, yeah, another, another those, that's gonna... one area that um, I my leafs are not good either. <laughs> they, and yeah, I'm, yeah. but I'm scared to I'm scared to upgrade them too, right? I mean, uh, yeah. you know, they, when I started, it was kind of when the housing crunch hit, you know, ten years ago or so. And originally, I was just going to kind of work on the run by branching out from my childhood sets from the '70s, which I had most of completed mm-hmm. when I was a kid. My idea was I was going to kind of work backwards and I'd work up toward you know, 89, which was going to be pretty easy. Um, but with mm-hmm. the housing crunch, you know, the card prices had dropped so dramatically from 2005, 2006, which was before I was collecting, yeah. that I made this kind yeah. of a spot decision that, boy, I better go get the oldest ones first because they're the ones that when they start to appreciate, when we come out of this housing issue, I, I might not be able yep. to afford them if I don't get them now, right? And so I ran out right. and I grabbed every, you know, butt-ugly leaf I could find that I needed. <laughs> I didn't care about condition. I just wanted a copy, right? You know, yeah. and, and I did the same for Chickles, and I did the same. Initially, I started for Mayo's, um, but then I ran into a guy who, who had 10 graded ones that he wanted to sell. They were all like SD. 50s or something. I was like, wow. Well, if I get those, then I'm not going to want these other ones. And so <laughs> ended up, the Mayo ended up switching pretty quick to kind of mid-grade. Where, but I never got around to the Leafs and the early Bowman upgrades, you know, and, and they're the ones that, you know, now I'm scared to, I'm scared to touch. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, you know I, I, I agree with you. I mean, I always said I got one of each copy of the cart in the sets, and I, mm. you know, I know some of those cards are bad, and, and they're just going to stay that way, and that's it. And I'm, I'm really, I was never concerned upgrading basically 57 and back, right? That was mm-hmm. my cutoff. 58 yeah. up, I always try to, you know, do the best I could as far as what I could with what I could afford, what I could trade for, and so on and so forth. But um, it's truly amazing to see nicer condition cards, especially when they're older and they're raw. But then now everybody has the, you know, the red flag go off, the red light go off to see, well, are they trimmed? Are they, you know, touched up, so on and so forth. It's amazing. Uh, Let's uh, talk a a few minutes on, because we're down about almost 12 minutes left, about an organization that you started and that I'm a member of, and uh, it's called VFC, and I start off my mornings with it. And uh, Yay. give us some background on it. <laughs> yeah, so um, Vintage Football Community, VFC. Um, I've been doodling on this for a long time. <laughs> you know, I, the thing <laughs> that always drove me crazy when I got back into the hobby um, in, you know, really, what, 10, 11 years ago or so, plus or minus, was that all mm-hmm. the message boards were baseball message boards, right? 
Mm-hmm. And I love mm-hmm. baseball. I, I I still have like I don't know twenty thousand cars from as a kid, but it's oh, never wow. it was never my passion. It was never I collected them because I was a collector. I collected everything, right? I was one of those kids. Um, yeah, yeah. I still have them all, but I just never. When I got back into the hobby, football was always my first love. It was the cards I loved the most. And when I got back into it with my kids, I was like, well, I'm going to do that. I'm going to start with the ones I love. I'll start with football. And then once I got into it, I was like, well, I'm, I'm never leaving football. <laughs> this is it. So, so I never got back into baseball. I like baseball as a sport, though. Um, but, you know, you go to the message boards, and they're all baseball boards, right? They're, they're, football's this little tiny, you know, one category or one line. And, and I get it, right? These, these boards were started by baseball collectors, and, you know, it's about baseball. Baseball's a huge piece of the hobby way larger than football is as we know um but the football forums never got any any um never got any real volume right i mean i I tried to pump a couple of them up a few times and and really start posting a lot and for a while that would work pretty good and then everybody would kind of like sort of lose interest and and you know the the baseball collectors who were kind of typing in would eventually just decide "Ah, i'll just stop reading this football stuff and go back to, to baseball. And mm-hmm. so I always felt football needed a home is the way I described it, right? It's a place where it was all about football. The biggest problem I had with it was I couldn't figure out how to make that work. I was afraid that if we started something that was football only, there wouldn't be enough people who wanted to talk football to keep it going, mm-hmm. right? Because you, you, if mm-hmm. it's not active and vibrant, it's, it's no fun. Right. It's, it's just not that interesting. And I didn't want to carry it. I didn't want to be the person that like posted it all and nobody else was helping. And it took me a long mm-hmm. time kind of mulling over models and how would you make that work and whatnot. And then about 19 months ago, decided to just, I was like, you know what? I, I, I got an idea about how this would work. I'm just going to start something. I'm going to see who shows up. And so, um, you know, I, I set up a board, gave it a name. And started calling people like you and saying, hey, I'm starting this football thing. I need your help because if we don't all, like, pitch in, you know, and, and share and post mm-hmm. and talk, then it's just going to die. It's, it's going to die. It's not going to be, uh, you know, an organic, breathing, living thing, which is what you really want a, a forum to be. And right. so, right. so, so to, to make that happen, I did something which was not very popular with some of the people that I talked to, which was I made a posting <laughs> requirement. I mean, it, it's not a hard requirement, though. It's really just, you know, post one football-related thing, a card, a something every month, right? You know, right. and I tell people right. that push right. back on that. I'm like, well, we're talking like 10 minutes a month, right, literally, it should take you no more than that to go search and look for a topic you like, see something and go, oh, I have one of those cards, or I, I know something about this, or, you know, or, hey, I read this hobby thing, and I'll post it over here, right? Because it, it, as long as it's about the hobby, I don't really care what the content is. Um, but my feeling was is, is that it wasn't big enough that we could afford to have, you know, just a small handful of people carrying the load. Right. And so, right, right. and so I set it up, and and you know, as you know, the 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 rule is that every month you're supposed to post something, um, and 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 we do use our own names because the other thing is a lot of the boards, as you know, out there, 
Um, there's a lot of people that like to like pick on each other and, you know, just yeah. call each other names and uh, it's just so, uh, I don't know, it's disgusting. I don't, I don't like it. Well, you didn't, so. you, you didn't want the rhetoric to, to, you know, spill over because, you know, we know quite well other boards we've been on, you know, I, you, you don't even go on them anymore because you don't even want to, want to even no. see what's going on. So. No, it's ridiculous. And one one way you stop that, and this was one of my other rules, was we're not going to be anonymous. Everybody's going to use their real name. So if you want to, like, yeah. you know, be an a-hole, everybody's going to know you're an a-hole. And my bet was, you know, that would radically decrease. Nobody's going to have keyboard courage because they're anonymous, like on some of these other boards, where nobody knows who they are, and they can just act like an a-hole and get away with it, Right. Yeah. So we had yeah. a, another yeah. rule is you got to use your real name. It's a private board, so you're not nobody can see it. You have to log in, and it's got a you know a forum password, and so there's no privacy issues or anything like that to it. So long story short, 19 months later, and we have about 100 members. We're looking for more. I mean, anybody that loves football, uh, this is your home, man. We talk football yeah. like crazy. We we um, usually get 45,000 to. 45,000 to 50,000 page views a month. We get Mm -hmm. 75 to 100 new threads started every month. I did math once. I went back and looked at some of the other boards that have a football forum. And literally, we start as many um, new threads a year as most of them start in five or ten years. You know, that's the kind of, you know, community that it's become, which is exactly what we want, right? And also, of course, you know, the philosophy is this isn't about the cards. This is about the people, the relationship. This is about helping each other, right? We we share things. People send each other stuff. There's active trades that go on. People just random acts of kindness send each other stuff, deals. You know, it's just a place where the true football collector can just enjoy the hobby, you know, and, and mm-hmm. that's what I love about it. And and so, you know, anybody out there that's interested, track me down. We're looking for people. Yeah, definitely. What's your Katie, thought on it? Con- contact me. I'll get you in contact with Jeff, and uh, we'll we'll take it from there because it's a, it's a great board. I thoroughly enjoy it. I, I I personally have learned so much stuff on it. It's just amazing. And uh, I'll tell you, in times like this, it's a nice break for me. And I, I do go on it quite frequently, even though I don't have 100 posts a day. I know I, I probably have two or three or whatever. But to read read what's on it is just amazing. It's just a, a wealth of knowledge as far as uh, oddball sets, uh, football facts, you name it. It's just, it's just a great, great website, a uh, great board to be on. And I, I'm very honored, and, and I truly appreciate all the effort and the work you did on to, to make it happen, Jeff, because it's the yeoman work, to say the least. And uh, Fortunately, I know you know a lot of the technical stuff uh, with computers, which has passed me passed me by in this lifetime. That's all I can say. So, uh, Lab- labor uh, of love. Yeah. It's a labor of love for me. I love it. You know, And I tried really hard to make it really easy for people to be able to post and put pictures exactly. on because that's the other exactly. thing that drives me nuts about some of the other boards is it is so hard to actually exactly. post something. It's like, exactly. we can't have that. There's got to be a better way, you know? <laughs> yeah, yours, yours is very easy. And even uh, 
uh, a beginner like me can take a few pictures with my phone and, and I know how to upload them and I can get them on and so on and so forth. I just had a few problems getting them the right way. I couldn't get them to turn, yeah. and then I figured that out. So <laughs> after that, that was, that was fine. Now we're down about four minutes, so we're, we're going to go into our two-minute warm-up, uh, warm and uh, wrap-up and warning. Uh, one last question before we wrap things up. Once again, any advice to someone starting out in the football card or football memorabilia hobby? Yeah, I'm going to take a different cut at this. I knew you were going to ask me this, and and you know, I always feel like I'm. I say the same thing, right? Enjoy it, have fun, collect what you love, yada yada. Yeah. That's all awesome, but everybody knows that. I think today with the coronavirus thing going on, you know, I, I really think the advice is just don't take the hobby and yourself so freaking seriously if you get into it, <laughs> right? Period, right? Very I mean, true. there are bigger problems in the world. We've got this, you know, virus running rampant. It should be reminding us all there are much bigger things to care about than whether you own a certain card or somebody beat you to the punch and got a card you wanted or they're ahead of you in the registry or all that crap, right, that you see and hear out there in the hobby. I hope, yeah. you know, new collectors, uh, I, I kind of hope the current situation gives new collectors, a, um, you know, a different perspective, right? Just just enjoy the hobby. I, you know, I don't know who said it first, but somebody said it, and I love it, the, the idea that really, you know, these are pieces of cardboard with a, with a face on them, right? That's not really right. what the hobby's about. The hobby's about the pull and the relationships and the camaraderie and, the ability to share and talk and enjoy things, get away from all that stuff like coronavirus. And, and so I, I would just encourage new collectors, don't get hung up in all the stuff that makes the hobby stressful. It's supposed to be a hobby. It's supposed to be fun. Don't take it so seriously, right? And, and don't take yourself so seriously. And if you lose out on a card, big deal. There'll be another one, right? It might take a decade. Right, but it'll come back around. You'll get a chance to get the, you know, Pottsville Maroons postcards if you want them, and you and you wait long enough, and you're patient, and you keep looking. So yeah. I guess that's my yeah. advice I agree. today. Is I I agree with you 110 percent because it's just you know some people view it as, as you know like a a second job, and for what reason is mm. that? I mean, you're supposed to have fun with it. I tell you, being home. I mean, I've been pulling out old media guides and old programs and mm-hmm. looking at them again, and I, I got to kind of get motivated to, to sort some stuff. But by the time I get home, and with uh, you know my regular job being very stressful right now because of all the problems, I yeah. I, I just want to relax and just look at stuff and you know chill out, and that's it. And, and, uh, I agree with you 100. Mm-hmm. percent Now we're down to a minute. A real quick announcement, as I mentioned before. Um, the next issue of Gridiron Greats is supposed to be out between April 9th. I'm going to keep you posted on our website, uh, given the conditions here in Connecticut and my printer uh, probably being shut down because of the the directive. So I'll, I'll let people know. Hopefully it'll, it'll clean up and uh, people will be back to work and business and will be open. Jeff, we're almost out of time. Thank you so much for filling in tonight. Great 
great talking to you. Love your collection. I love your wine cellar too. At the same time, I got to see it there, <laughs> and and uh, I thoroughly en- enjoy talking to you. You are, you are the hobby. Great, great. The podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll be back hopefully next week with another show. Thank you. Thanks, Bob. It was fun. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Do you wish you knew more about the 100 seasons of the NFL? You're in luck because you found the Football History Dude Podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. From the founding of the league in an auto showroom, all the way to what it is today, America's favorite sport and a behemoth of an industry. My name is Ernie Chapman. Football is my passion, and I want you to come along with me each week to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board, my DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.